Hey, everybody. Thanks for joining us back here on Bikes and Big Ideas on the Blister Podcast Network. I'm David Golay, the bike editor at Blister and host of the show. And this week, I am joined by Jacob Rubin, the founder of Prevelo, to talk about kids' bikes and why he, despite not having any engineering experience or experience in the bike industry, decided some years ago that he was going to found a company to make high-end kids' bikes. And it's a pretty cool conversation, not only because Jacob's story of founding the company is quite an interesting one, but because he's got some really good things to say about both the design of kids' bikes and how the needs of kids differ from those of adults and just different considerations that go into making bikes for younger people, but also about the direction that the kids' bike market has evolved in over the last handful of years and where it's going from here, how he found the challenge of convincing folks, even experienced bike riders themselves who own high-end bikes, that there was value in higher-end kids' bikes as well, and a whole lot of stuff along those lines, including kind of weight considerations for kids' bikes and the geometry requirements and component design for them and a whole lot more. So even if you don't have kids or aren't in the market for a kid's bike, I think there's a lot here that's really interesting just from the standpoint of kind of the interesting design challenges that arise around making higher end kids bikes and starting a company and a whole lot of stuff like that, that is going to be interesting and relevant to parents and non-parents alike. So this is a fun one. I really enjoyed it and think you will too. And with that, let's get right to my conversation with Jacob Rubin. Well, Jacob, great to sit down and chat and things will be interesting because we're doing something a little bit different than uh, our typical fodder for the podcast here. But we're sort of here to talk about kids' mountain bikes and some of the stuff that goes into those and your role and company doing all that stuff. So I guess just to kick it off, how are you doing and where are you this morning? I'm doing good. I'm in Westlake Village, California. It's um, under 100 degrees today, so that's nice. Um, And I'm happy to be here and happy that you're taking a little time to talk about kids' bikes today. Yeah, like I said, just sort of a interesting aspect of the bike world that we don't necessarily cover a huge amount, but uh, I'm sure there are folks listening who've got kids or curious about a lot of this stuff. And so figured it would just be a good opportunity to check in on some of this stuff. So, I mean, to kick it off, tell us a little bit about Prevelo and what you kind of set out to do with the company and how it all got started in the first place. So my wife and I started the company. We started the company in 2016, but the kind of story about the company, I think, goes back a lot further than that. Um, Back in the late 90s and early 2000s, I um, owned an e-commerce business, actually two e-commerce businesses back in the wild west of e-commerce when uh, people thought that e-commerce companies were sketchy. And then I went on to do other things. I went to law school and got into real estate development and renewable energy development. 
and a lot of stuff that uh, was really good at paying the mortgage, but that I didn't really love. And um, I just had this kind of itch that I always wanted to um, come out with my own product and get into product development and design. Um, and um, over the course of the close to two decades that spanned uh, before I started Provello, um, I probably came to my wife with about 150 different business ideas uh, for products I wanted to design. And um, uh, so many that I think she just got sick of hearing them. And then I came to her with uh, when my, my oldest son was learning how to ride a bike. Um, this is now like 2015, 2016. Um, I was kind of like rigging a bunch of different bikes on the market to try to make it fit him better. And I had this idea for a kid's bike brand. Um, and I told my wife about it and she said, let's do it. Um, so we did it and now we own a kid's bike company. So it's been a, it's been a, a wild ride. We're about six and a half years into actually selling product and generating revenue now. And I love what I do and I'm happy to come into work every day and I feel um, like the luckiest man in the world. So, And at that point when you kicked things off, what was your level of experience sort of both just in the bike industry and bike world generally and in product design and all the rest like kind of how did those things come together for you? Where were you starting from at that point? That's a good question. Um, so I had a law degree, um, which uh, basically means I was qualified to write the owner's manual um, and not a whole lot else. Um, I, I knew, you know, I'm, I'm a fairly mechanical person. I grew up always working on um, my own bikes and motorcycles and cars. And, um, but I, I didn't have a degree in engineering. Um, so I, uh, started working with a very basic two-dimensional CAD design program, um, to, uh, lay out the geometry that I wanted. And then I hired, um, a bicycle engineer to help me take those two-dimensional CAD designs and turn them into 3D models, um, with proper tube profiles that would create like a, a strong bike. Um, but um, probably the, the bigger piece of the puzzle is that I didn't know anything about how to source bikes from factories. Um, I didn't have any existing factory relationships. I didn't even really know how to lay out a proper spec sheet. Um, and um, actually, I got a little lucky. Um, I found um, a man named Brad Hughes, um, who I've since become very close friends with. Um, Brad is an uh, industry veteran. He's um, been in the bicycle industry since the 70s. He started working for Schwinn in Chicago. And um, when I found him, um, he had kind of semi-retired um, as being general manager for Cannondale in Taiwan. And he'd been living in Taiwan for 11 years and was available to hire um, to, uh, to kind of work as a contract product manager. Um, and, um, the kind of interesting thing about Brad is he has such, he's, he's been in the industry for so long that he's mentored a lot of the product managers in the industry. Um, so, um, I hired him to be my first product manager, but he was also, um, my teacher and he taught me everything that I know about how to 
build factory relationships, to develop spec sheets, to develop product, um, everything that goes into um, designing um, and sourcing bicycles and getting them into the United States. Yeah, that certainly sounds like an incredibly invaluable resource to have had on that sort of project. But I'm curious to hear a bit more about sort of just the broader concept behind the company, because obviously you didn't really have, you know, at, at that point when you were founding it, the much experience in designing bikes or working within the bike industry. And so what was it that you were trying to do differently or what was the perceived need that you weren't finding in the kids bikes that existed at that point? And what were you trying to bring to the table that was different? Um, so that's a good question. I think that there were two things that were really missing from kids bikes at the time. And I, I think that we should kind of, you know, like look at what the kids bike landscape was in 2015, 2016. Um, so first of all, what you had is you had a lot of, um, um, bikes from companies like Huffy that were selling at Walmart. And then you had kind of the bike shop tier bikes, um, like, um, truck and specialized. And really what I think all of those category of bikes were missing really two things. Um, one was quality kids bikes were just built cheap because they wanted to make them inexpensive for parents. Um, and they also were not really well designed for kids. Um, they had cranks that were too long, cockpits that were too small, right? Um, Q factors that were too wide. Um, so they were really not ergonomically optimized for kids. And I think that that was a combination of two factors. Um, one is I think it was, um, again, trying to keep the product inexpensive. Um, but I think part of it was also just the will of product managers. I don't think that um, it was a product development priority at any company to design products that were um, ergonomic for kids. Um, so kind of it, 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 at the get-go, my vision for, uh, for Prevella was to design bikes that were uh, that were very high quality that had things like sealed cartridge bearings and, um, you know, 6061 aluminum tubing. And, you know, we put forged rear dropouts on them. Um, and then on top of that to build bikes that were more ergonomically correct for children. Um, we spent a lot of time working in the whole bottom bracket area of the bike. Um, so starting with the frame geo of the bottom bracket, um, we have a very low bottom bracket and then uh, very uh, short and narrow cranks. Um, so they're narrow. They have uh, like the distance between the pedals is very uh, short. It's called the Q factor. Um, and we do that because kids hips are narrow. So it's more ergonomic for them. Um, and then uh, when you add all of this together, now what you can do is you can uh, lower the entire bike. So now you have a lower bottom bracket, you have shorter cranks, you can now do a lower seat height. So now you've got the kid lower to the ground and that has two big advantages for kids. One is it um, makes them more agile because they have a lower center of gravity, um, but it also makes them more confident because kids feel a lot more comfortable on the bike when they can get their feet comfortably on the ground. 
Um, it's a little different than what we kind of normally think of with adult bikes, where we're looking for full pedal extension and being able to get your feet on the ground is kind of really not important. All we care about is efficient um, pedaling. But with kids, we want to think about how can we make them feel confident. Um, and that's an important factor for kids. Yeah, that all makes a lot of sense and sort of it stands to reason that it'd be, you know, sort of the easy path would be to be taking a, you know, adult bike's bottom bracket and the shortest cranks you can find that fit on there and kind of slapping it all together. But then you end up with a cranks that are, are probably still kind of long and you got a wide Q factor and a whole range of things like that. And so I'm curious sort of how you thought about and approached what I would imagine is a bit of a balancing act between, I guess, one, wanting to make something that is better adapted and fits kids better, which in probably in a bunch of cases means diverging from adult bike parts standards, but then two, still trying to make them relatively affordable so you're not going totally off the deep end on a whole bunch of custom stuff, and three, then that runs into kind of parts compatibility and serviceability issues. And so how do you juggle all that stuff? Um, so that's a really good question. And um, it kind of touches on a couple different points. So one is um, what we're kind of the balancing act that what's the balancing act that we had to go through when we were developing um, our first line of bikes and also kind of like, what are some developing standards that we see happening now that are going to enable us to do more things in the future? Um, so, with our cranks, um, you know, we we developed our crank arms um, that are very short and narrow, but they fit on a standard square taper bottom bracket into a normal um, uh, Shimano threaded bottom bracket shell. So the only thing that uh, was really the proprietary part uh, were the crank arms. Um, and, uh, and then we just had to use kind of like a narrow bottom bracket axle. Um, so, um, so that part of it didn't require interfacing with some kind of new exotic standard. Um, and at the time we really didn't have the resources to do something that would require a whole lot of new standards, but we are starting to see, um, so now fast forward, you know, six to seven years now to 2023 and um, the kids kind of premium kids bike segment, this idea of like developing kids bikes that are more ergonomic and have more spe kids specific components is gaining a lot of steam among bigger brands. And because of that, um, factories are starting to be more willing to entertain, um, more standards. So, um, probably the best example I can give of that is, um, kids struggle with standard, 22 millimeter grips. They're just too big in diameter for them. So we use on a lot of our smaller bikes, 19 millimeter handlebars. Um, but um, the problem with using um, something like a 19 millimeter handlebar is that you need also grips that fit on it and brake levers and shifters that fit on it. Um, and there's a, you know, a variety of different ways to, um, uh, to kind of attack this problem. Um, so one is you look at like the, you know, pro taper had kind of a 
their own interesting solution to it where they built a proprietary bar and a proprietary grip. And the grip was designed so that it had a 22 millimeter area where um, the brake lever and the, uh, the shifter could clamp onto. But really the best solution is to have factories that are willing to make everything 19 millimeter compatible, right? So a 19 millimeter kid-friendly brake lever and 19 millimeter kid-friendly shifter. But I think we're gonna start seeing probably over the next, I'd say 12 to 24 months, is that those components are gonna start coming out. Um, so we're gonna see the availability of all these kid-friendly components now that enable us to do something like an entire um, uh, kid-focused cockpit uh, using parts that are now, well, I believe in the future be readily available um, and designed for kids. And so what you're kind of saying is that this is something that you are seeing at least some early inklings of wider adoption of within the bike industry, rather than it just being something that you are totally going your own way on. I mean, is that a fair assessment of what you're seeing? Yeah, for sure. Like in, in recent years, we're, we're definitely seeing wider adoption. So what I just talked about was like um, kind of on this theme of uh, developing standards. But even if we get away from that, just simple things like having, um, you know, uh, 20 inch tubeless ready tires, right? You know, high quality 20 inch forks. Um, the variety of options that are available there is like it's rapidly expanding. And and that really just started, like, I would say over the past two years or so. Yeah. And what do you think has gotten that change off the ground? I mean, obviously, I'm sure you've been pushing for stuff for some time now with the company, but does it feel like there's just sort of a growing bit of momentum behind that where there are a lot of companies who are taking their kids' bike development more seriously and asking for these things or... How is this all coming about? Yeah, I mean, um, ultimately, it's all being driven by consumer demand, right? Um, so when I started Prevelo, um, our first 16-inch bike um, was, I think it was $360 at the time. And at the time, we were one of the most expensive 16-inch bikes that ever existed, um, and people thought that was crazy. And now there's... Um, you know, we're not alone. There's a lot of 16 inch bikes that are on the market that are, we have a 16 inch hardtail that's $820. Um, and um, I think that parents are realizing that if you want to give your kids a really good uh, riding experience as a child, if you want them to see uh, bike riding as something that's um, a better alternative than staying at home and playing on, um, on a screen, um, that buying a quality bike, um, uh, makes sense and helps with that experience. And, um, I also think that, you know, parents are also starting to put it in perspective of, uh, you know, what they spend on other things for their kids, you know, uh, you know, $500 for a video game system is not uncommon. $500 for gymnastic lessons or to be on a soccer team or a baseball team or like really common expenditures um, for middle-class families in the United States today. Um, so to, to spend that much money on a bike for your kids, I think is now kind of becoming a pretty common thing. And because of that, um, bigger brands are um, starting to make products to meet that need and factories are starting to tool up 
um, for products to help make the bikes that we want. No, I mean, that all makes sense. And sort of the note about just that price not actually being so exorbitant as compared to any number of other things that you might be spending for, you know, kids' athletic pursuits or entertainment totally checks out. And so I guess as that development progresses, I mean, what else do you see as being kind of ripe opportunities for making kids' bikes better going forward? Obviously, you talked about some things that are kind of in the pipeline that seem like sensible steps in that direction, but what else can we do? Where do we go from here? So one is, um, I think that uh, we're going to continue to see higher quality components become available. So kids' bikes are just going to start getting better and better, right? There's going to be wider available of things, availability of things like, uh, you know, tubeless ready tires and rims for bikes. So that's going to become, I think, a pretty common thing that you see on kids' mountain bikes. Um, but I think another thing is, you know, the, the adult bike market has been kind of um, really thin sliced. So if you like a specific type of riding, you can get a bike that is really purpose built for that kind of riding. You can get a downhill rig or a cross country rig or, you know, drop bar road bike or a commuter bike, whatever it is you want. Right. It's, I mean, I think that there's a lot of people that think that it's been thin sliced too much. I'm not here to try to settle that debate. Right. Um, but I do think that in the kids bike market, um, uh, you know, the, um, uh, it's, it, we kind of have the opposite problem, which is that we have, um, a lot of kind of like, um, do it all kids bikes, which, which are going to continue to be the, the most popular. And I think should be the most popular because a lot of parents don't know what kind of riding their kid is going to like, but I think we're going to start to see better availability of bikes that are purpose built for kids that are really into a particular type of riding. So, um, you know, we're coming out with a line of dirt jump bikes for kids um, later this year. So that's a, a good example. Um, you know, I see other companies coming out with enduro bikes for kids and drop bar road bikes and gravel bikes. Um, so that kids that want to get into those activities have the opportunity to. Yeah, that, that sort of just feels like a natural maturation of the kid bike market that it's just following on the coattails of where adult bikes have been going. And to bring it back around to sort of some of the earlier bits of pre-velo history a little bit, you know, you've obviously mentioned already sort of the thought that just the availability of higher end kids bikes has only grown, but what was the consumer response like at the beginning when you were launching and, earlier on that trend? I mean, was it sort of, did people get it pretty quickly or was there a period of needing to convince people that there was actually a real value in a higher end kid's bike and that these weren't just expensive for no reason, but that there was really something to getting more for that bit of extra money and all that kind of thing. How did that go? Yeah, that's a good question. So I think that I had uh, two battles. So the first battle was I was a small company uh, with a brand name that no one ever had ever heard of. So I had to convince people that um, I uh, knew how to make a good bike 
and that I was a reliable company that you could count on um, to support the bike after you bought it and things, all the little things that go along with being a brand new brand that no one else has heard of. But then the other one is, yes, I had come to the market with some pretty, um, at the time, expensive kids bikes. Um, and I had to persuade people that um, this was worth it, that it was worth it to buy um, a, um, a quality bike for your kid. Um, you know, there's, there's a little bit of kind of, uh, what's the term for it? You know, the people that I talked to most tended to be the people that bought into it, right? If they didn't buy into it, then they probably weren't going to even give me a phone call. Um, but I did spend a lot of time, um, the first couple of years in business, you know, I would just go out to, to events to, you know, cycling events and kids expos and things like that, just to talk to as many parents as possible. Um, and I spoke to a lot of parents, um, who kind of like were, were meeting me for the first time in person. They had no idea what I was doing. They were, uh, they, they looked at my bike, they liked it. And then I told them the price. Right. Um, and, um, you know, I would say I got, uh, mixed reactions. I think that for, um, uh, for uh, parents that uh, were bicycle enthusiasts, I, I think it's they generally were not surprised by the price because they looked at the spec and they understood that like there's that's kind of like the right price for a bike that has Tetro V brakes and an aluminum frame and things like that, right? Um, but um, you know whether or not they understood uh, that uh, the um, the the spec justified the price. They still, I still had to persuade them that it was worth it to spend this much money on your kid's bike. I think, um, I was surprised. Um, so yes, there were, there's a lot of parents that at the time gawked at the price. There's still some parents today that, um, that's just not the budget that they have in mind for their kid's bike. Um, and you know, some parents, uh, I've also noticed that, that, uh, you know, kind of income level is, only kind of, I think, casually correlated with whether or not a parent is going to be willing to spend money on their kid's bike, because there are a lot of parents that have very big vacation budgets or very big budgets for their personal car. But just for their kid's bike, it's just kind of not something that they see as being a $500 purchase, right? That's just not where their head is at. And I think that those people often just that's they can't be persuaded. Um, but there um, are a lot of parents out there that um, I think they look at all the things that they spend uh, money on for their kids. And this is something that to them seems like uh, a good way to make their kids childhood riding experience better. Right. Totally. And it's interesting to hear the sort of moderate at best correlation. I mean, of course, there are people for whom plenty of people for whom a $500 kid's bike is just genuinely not plausibly in the budget. But, you know, at there are, of course, plenty of folks for whom it at least could be should they choose to prioritize things that way. And I mean, like you said, of course, it's easy to imagine that folks who are themselves serious bike people would be a little bit more, have a little more appetite, say, for spending some money on a high-end bike for their kids, having presumably done so for themselves, at least to some extent. But I guess it would be interesting to hear some more about how you think about kind of what sort of price targets you do want to aim for and you know like anything it's you can always make things better quality by throwing more money at them if you do it 
intelligently, but there's very much a line to be walked here where, especially with a kid's bike, where you have something that they're going to outgrow in some amount of time, presumably not super long in a number of cases. And just how do you go about approaching kind of what the right balance to strike is on that front? We're always trying to figure that out, right? Um, and I still don't think that we have the perfect answer for that. Um, so, you know, when I first started the company, um, I was relatively unsophisticated about that. I just built the, the bike that I wanted and then charged what I needed to charge for it. Um, and so I kind of just, I didn't even think about the price target. I just built what I wanted, right? But now that we've become a more mature company, I realized that we need um, to focus really on what our customers want, that they want a balance of price and value, right? Um, and that there's a sweet spot to hit. You know, where that sweet spot is, is I haven't distilled that down to a science. I wish I could. Um, we, uh, we talk with a lot of our customers. We have an idea about how they're reacting to prices. We have an idea of what spec they're asking for and what, um, uh, you know, what we think that they'd be willing to pay for different levels of spec. Um, and then we do our best to, to strike that balance, right? So when we go into product development, a lot of times, um, always, uh, we now set a target retail price and we try to work within that, that target retail price. And kind of as part of all that, how are you thinking about things like total bike weight and that kind of stuff of course you know we've talked a lot on blister generally sort of about how in very broad strokes we often think that people perhaps make a bigger deal out of weight on adult mountain bikes than is perhaps prudent and i do think that to some extent the trends have swung back in the other direction on that front adult mountain bikes have in general gotten heavier in recent years and i think in a lot of cases are nevertheless better for it but it's also probably a bit of a different ball game for kids bikes where the bike is a much higher percentage of sort of the total system rider and bike weight than it is with an adult and i mean of course you still need to balance that with durability and strength and having it be safe and a whole bunch of things in that vein but uh how does that sort of factor into your thinking about how to design kids bikes? Um, so that's uh, a good question. And I think that you kind of uh, did a good job of explaining the difference between um, the, the, the different ways that weight factors in for adults versus kids, right? So if you have a 150 pound adult rider, every uh, pound of weight that you add is, uh, you know, less than 1% of the rider's weight that you're adding. Um, but if you have a 50 pound, um, uh, rider, then every pound of weight that you're adding is, uh, uh, 2%. I think I did the math right there, right. Of the, uh, of, of the rider's weight. So, um, you know, so it, it, it's, it has a, a significantly weight, small differences in weight, um, I think are felt, um, more sharply by the rider, but we still need to strike a balance. Right. Um, and, uh, you know, part of that balance um, is uh, balancing price 
and value. And part of it is also balancing things like strength, right? Um, you know, even though um, our, the, the kids that ride our bikes are very lightweight, we still want them to be very strong. Um, we've, we've never had a frame failure. So, uh, and I want to keep it that way. Um, so, uh, so yes, I, I think that, um, uh, I think that the, this kind of like chase to be as light as possible, um, in the bike industry, it, I kind of feel like it's, uh, it, we, we've kind of, that chase is kind of past its peak. Um, and, uh, and I think to a certain extent, you know, in the, in the, the kids bike market, I also kind of feel the same way where, you know, we want to be lightweight, but it's not kind of not like the absolute pinnacle of what makes a good kid's bike. You know, like you need to be lightweight, you need uh, kind of competitively lightweight, um, because if, you know, you're too heavy, then you're, you're obviously the kid is on a tank, but within like a certain band of weight, um, I think, uh, we feel comfortable that once we're in that band, uh, we're making the bike light enough that the kid's riding experience is, is not going to be negatively impacted by the weight. Since you kind of cracked this door open a little bit, I mean, what do you sort of see as being the real crux or key points of making a really good kid's bike? You've touched on a bunch of them already, but sort of curious to have you, I don't know, do something like a, an ordered list, at least to some extent, or just kind of cover the top level bullet points there. We can start with kind of like the basic easy things. Um, so, uh, on kind of a basic level, um, we want like, uh, good rider ergonomics. So we want cranks that are short and narrow. Like I described earlier, we want a cockpit that is comfortable for kids. So we want to have, um, uh, narrow handlebars, smaller diameter grips, short reach brake levers. So those are kind of like, I would say the easier points to start to dial in. Right. Um, some of the things that have been a little more challenging for us are things like, um, bike geo, right? Um, and the reason that um, bike geo has challenged us is um, one is that I believe that kids need different geometry than than adults do um, because they ride differently and they also have kind of a different riding personality than than adults do. And then on top of that, um, kids are not very good at giving us feedback about how a bike feels. So we have to prototype bikes, put them under kids, and then watch the kids and try to figure out um, whether the geo is working for them and what can be made better, right? Um, so a good example is like on, on mountain bikes, um, I personally have found that slack geo works really well for kids. Because um, one is kids really at young ages are, they, they have very little tolerance for climbing. So poor climbing geo really doesn't have much of a negative impact on them because for the most part, they're just not going to do hills, right? Um, and um, when they're riding uh, not on hills over anything technical or anything downhill, um, they're kind of beginner riders. They tend to ride... Um, with less precision than adults, um, and they need more forgiving geometry, right? So, you know, we've, um, you know, so far have kind of like made these, you know, these kind of discoveries about kids' geo. Um, another thing I mentioned earlier is that um, I find kids work really well with very low bottom brackets, 
right? Even if that means that they risk an occasional pedal strike. Um, kids tend to recover from pedal strikes a lot easier than adults. There's a lot of stuff that, um, you know, we still haven't completely nailed yet. Um, we're, uh, you know, we haven't come out with a full suspension bike yet. I am, you know, not sure if there is existing um, full suspension geometry on the market that is really well optimized for kids yet. I don't know. We haven't, I'm going to be honest, we have not like fully tested all the possibilities. Um, so I think that there's still a lot that we have to learn. And the the research uh, phase in some ways takes longer than it does for adult bikes because again like you can't just like throw it under a tester that is like a pro at giving you feedback right that actually is precisely something that i wanted to touch on and you kind of got a little bit of already but how do you go about sort of especially with geometry i think because the handling i think is an interesting bit so you know given what you said that unsurprisingly kids are not stellar about giving exacting feedback about how a bike is handling and performing. What are you then looking for when you're testing things and trying to assess whether or not you've got the geometry right and how that's all working? There's uh, there's a, a lot of things that we look at uh, to determine whether or not we think that uh, a bike is right for a kid. Um, but probably the first thing that we pay attention to is, is the kid having fun? Right. I know that sounds, it's really subjective. Um, it's, uh, kind of in some ways hard to interpret, but, um, I think it's a good, uh, it's a good first starting point. Um, does kid look comfortable on the bike? Do you look like they're in fun? Um, and then the next is, uh, we want to make sure that the kid looks, um, the best way that I can put it is unintimidated, right? Um, so we want a bike, um, that when, uh, if a new rider is getting on a bike, we want to make it the kind of new riding experience as unintimidating for them as possible. And then even if you have an advanced rider, when that advanced rider is trying something that is technical, a technical section that is pushing their boundaries, um, what kind of geo is giving them the confidence to, um, to attack those, that, that new section that they haven't tried before. Um, so I'd say those are some key points. And then we also look for things that there are some things that are a little easier to spot, um, you know, um, efficient pedaling ergonomics, for example, that's like one that you can eyeball pretty easily. Um, and we can just look at that and see like, you know, is that right? Are they, is the rider positioning good? Are they too hunched over? Are they too upright? Things like that. Yeah, fair enough. As you kind of, touched on a little bit earlier too, sort of the idea of the adult bike market having gotten in many ways more specialized and having more niches and sub niches of different, you know, types of bikes for every little facet of riding that you can possibly imagine and kids bikes being, you know, probably for good reason to some extent behind that and not having gone down that road of hyper-specialization as much. What do you see as being sort of the path forward for starting down in that direction and kind of offering some different takes on kids' bikes, even if the end point is presumably not as super niche as certain adult bikes have gotten? You know, for us, um, 
you know, we chose, so we started out with, uh, kind of a, a basic multi-purpose hybrid bike. Right. Um, and then, uh, we expanded our line of mountain bikes. So those are, I think are kind of like the two natural places to start. Um, for us, we're coming out with our third line and that's, uh, dirt jump bikes. And for us, that was a natural place to expand into because we see a lot of dirt jump parks, um, popping up. We're in California. They're all over the place in California now. And these are, you know, relatively new. There's a dirt jump park that's two miles from um, our headquarters here. And it was just built over the past few years. Um, and we see a lot of kids there. And the other reason uh, we liked uh, that segment is um, that for, uh, for parents that have kids that are very enthusiastic about riding, but the parents are not into riding, the dirt jump pike park is a comfortable place because the parents can go there and they can sit on a picnic table while their kid rides. Right. So for us, that was like, that, that was kind of like a, a no brainer is build dirt jump uh, bikes is our, our third line. Right. Um, I also think um, the, uh, the downhill bike park market, I think that that's a great place for kids. Um, we have, you know, a couple here in Southern California, lift assist bike parks are all over the place now. Um, and, um, I think that that's a great riding experience for kids. I mentioned earlier, kids don't like riding up hills, but they seem perfectly fine to take a chairlift up a hill and then ride down. So I think that that's, um, another market, uh, another niche that I expect to see a lot of growth in over, um, the, uh, the next, uh, a uh, couple of years. And then another category would be cross country mountain bikes. Just refining that we have a line our, you know, our, our line of mountain bikes are kind of somewhere between a downhill hardtail and a cross country, uh, bike. But I think that that market, um, is going to grow, uh, from kids that are kind of like, um, not ready for Nika, uh, cause they're not old enough yet, but they like that kind of riding. Um, a lot of times it's driven because their parents like that kind of riding and they're enthusiastic about it and want to do a lot of it and uh, would really like to have a really nice bike to do it on. Yeah, that all makes quite a bit of sense. And yeah, it seems like sort of a neat handful of things to branch out into while still sort of running with what you've already talked about, about kids just not being that excited about climbing up much of anything. And all seems like a pretty cool path forward. So I think that's probably a pretty good note to wrap up on here. And this has been a, I think, interesting kind of look into the company and just the design of kids' bikes in general, which is something that I just haven't uh, delved into nearly as much as you clearly have. And so thanks for the rundown. And this has been a lot of fun. Fantastic. Uh, David, thanks. I really appreciate you uh, taking the time to talk to me today and to bring a little bit of attention to kids' bikes and the kids' riding experience. Um, thank you. It's been awesome. All right. That's it for this edition of Bikes and Big Ideas. And as always, we would very much appreciate you leaving us a rating or review in Apple Podcasts to help keep the show going and growing. I'd also like to say thanks to Jacob for the conversation, thanks to Taylor Ahern for producing the episode, and thanks to you for listening. From all of us at Blister, please take good care of yourself and everybody else, and we'll be back again next week. Bye, everybody.